Good evening. My name is Vivian Catfield, and this is Haunted Muse, a podcast of my freshly written speculative fiction and the often stranger-than-fiction stories behind it. This week, for our 137th episode, the 27th of Season 2, A Season of Short Works, I decided to share one of my older stories. Originally, I wrote it in grad school at UA Huntsville, where it won the Writing Award for Women's Studies. Yet, that was many years and quite a few laptops and flash drives ago, so somewhere along the way, I lost my manuscript. However, rewriting it for this week's episode was no problem, because it's hard to forget a story that is so close to the truth. My paternal great-grandmother was committed to Bryce Hospital after causing a scene at the local opera house in their hometown when her husband had the audacity to seat his girlfriend next to the family at a performance. For those of you unfamiliar with Alabama history, Bryce Hospital was once considered a cutting-edge treatment facility for those with mental illness. Sadly, though, the hospital was often misused by families of women who were considered too outspoken or unruly as a place to have them permanently silenced. In 1925, the year in which this story is set, it only took the statements of two male family members saying that a woman was mentally unsound to have her committed for life. Unfortunately, many of these women, including my ancestor, remained institutionalized long after Bryce fell into disrepair and in later years became a living horror story of patient neglect. I've included a link to a website with pictures of the hospital's rise and fall in the show notes. Additionally, my grandmother, like the protagonist in this story, was around 12 years old when her mother was institutionalized. Although the names of the characters have been changed so that they fit into my universe of stories about the fictional town of Crossvine, Alabama, all of the other details contained in the story are true, except for one which is that on her sole visit to see her mother in the psychiatric hospital, my grandmother took a basket of fruit rather than violets. So why did I choose violets, you might ask? Because in the Victorian language of flowers, violets symbolize fidelity and love, which is an important meaning behind this week's tale. It's called The Cultivation of Violets, a short story by Vivian Catfield. Elise Martell followed her father, Walter, up the tall iron stairway leading to the second floor of Bryce Hospital. A heavy-set nurse with a white starched apron, cap, and a stern expression, one that said clearly how little she approved of patient visits that included 12-year-old girls, followed them. Elise's new patent leather T-strap shoes pinched her feet, but she tried to ignore the rising blisters as she picked her way up the marble steps. Holding onto the rail tightly with one hand, in her other, Elise carried a large, round, white ceramic pot filled with violets. She'd taken care to move them inside as the weather became colder so that they wouldn't get frostbite, and to water them just as her mother had always taught her, but not too much. Elise hoped that Louisa would notice that they were still flowering, even in late November. Having both hands full, Elise blew a freshly waved lock of her shiny black hair out of her face when it slipped out of the bobby pin that was supposed to keep it tucked behind her ear. She'd never had her hair professionally set in a beauty parlor before, but Elise had asked her father to take her by that morning before they went to the hospital. 
Elise wore her new blue velvet dress, too, the one that her mother had had tailor-made for her birthday, but that had stayed packed in tissue paper on the top shelf of her wardrobe for months. She'd wanted to look especially nice, grown up, as if she were managing everything all right. Elise did not want to worry her mother. Elise hadn't seen Louisa since the day that she'd been taken away, after what had happened at the opera house when Louisa leapt to her feet screaming at Walter for inviting that woman to sit with him in public. That woman had no right to be there, Louisa raged on a family outing. Then Louisa pounced on the woman, clawing at her eyes and tearing her hair out in hunks. At the time, Elise had no idea what that woman had done, but from her mother's tone and the violent outburst that followed, she'd known that it must have been something dreadful. Since then, Elise had learned what it was. The housekeeper explained it to her after her father was unable to do so. All he'd said about the matter, after Elise told him what she knew, was that sometimes a man had no choice. Sometimes, Walter said. A wife was too unwelcoming and too critical, and so her husband was forced to seek comfort elsewhere. Seeing his daughter's skeptical expression, Walter explained that Elise would understand when she was older and that the experience should be a lesson to her, a lesson to always be quiet and respectful of her husband's privacy and to not put family business in the street. That was four months ago. Since then, Elise had written to her mother often, at least two or three times a week. Walter and the doctor that stopped by their house told Elise that it was important to keep the content of her letters light and free from anything that might be considered triggering. So Elise wrote about the flower garden, the new kittens that the neighbor's gray cat gave birth to next door, and the spelling bee that she'd won at school. Anything besides what she actually wanted to write about. At the top of the staircase, the stone-faced nurse stepped around Elise to speak to her father. Turning her back to Elise, the nurse explained the rules of visitation. No more than 30 minutes were allowed. Conversation was to be limited to light topics, and she would remain on call at the nurse's station just outside the door. If there were any kind of violent outburst, the nurse would summon the orderlies for assistance and terminate the visitation immediately. On the door, Elise noticed that someone had posted a series of warnings, phrased in the terms of what was not permitted inside. No glassware. No metal utensils. No surplus linen. No writing instruments. No single attendance. Why do all the attendants have to be married? Elise whispered to the nurse, misunderstanding the message. The nurse's thin lips wrinkled into something resembling a smile. It means no individual attendance. Your mother is a runner. There have been, she paused, choosing her words carefully, a few incidents. Peering through the small diamond-shaped window, the nurse nodded to herself, then pulled a large ring of keys out of the pocket of her apron. Putting the key in the lock and turning it, the tumblers turned with a loud clack. Gently, the nurse twisted the knob and the hinges creaked, as the door swung open. Louisa, the nurse said in a polite yet firm voice, you have visitors. Motioning for Walter and Elise to enter, the nurse stepped back into the hallway, shutting the door behind her. 
Through the tiny window, Elise could see that the nurse remained there, watching them, ready to summon the orderlies at any moment. Closed inside the room, Elise stood in her father's shadow cast by the weak winter sunlight that streamed through the room's only other window. The iron bars across the window made a chessboard pattern on the gray slate floor. Next to the window, Louisa slumped in a wooden straight-backed chair, staring at the reflection of her family behind her in the window glass. Although she knew that this woman was her mother, Elise could hardly believe it. Louisa's long red hair, which Elise loved standing behind her at the dressing table to brush, had been cropped short into a stringy bob that hung limply down in hanks on either side of her face. Elise knew that Louisa's favorite colors were emerald green and deep purple, and that she wore them as often as possible. Here, though, Louisa's dress was plain gray wool, a drab shade almost identical to the floor. Although Walter cleared his throat to announce their presence again, Louisa did not turn to face them. "'Why don't you place her flowers over there?' Walter whispered to his daughter, motioning to a small, round, pedestal-style table sitting next to Louisa's chair. Elise stepped uneasily around her father and put the flower pot on the table, turning it carefully so that the best blossoms faced toward Louisa. I watered them only once a week, every Saturday morning, so as not to overdo it, Elise offered, and kept them pulled back from the window as it got colder so that they wouldn't catch a chill, just like you told me. Still not looking at her daughter, Louisa leaned over, reaching out to touch the voluminous, velvety soft leaves of the plant that spilled out over the edge of the container. I have always adored the cultivation of violets, Louisa said softly. Then she added in a cooler tone, Elise may stay. I wish to speak with her since I have not been permitted to answer her letters, but I would prefer it if you weren't here. Louisa, Walter began, be reasonable. We've driven all the way down here to see you, and I said, Louisa interrupted him more loudly this time, that my daughter may stay, but that you should leave, Walter. I have nothing to say to you. Walter crossed his arms and settled back in his stance onto one leg. Anything you have to say to our daughter, Louisa, must be said in front of me also. I won't have you filling her head with nonsense about... Louisa's head turned sharply, her eyes locked with Elise's blue matching blue, as she said, I'm sorry, dear. They were lovely. Quicker than a blink, Louisa snatched up the heavy pot of violets from the table and hurled it as hard as she could at Walter's head. He ducked, and it slammed into the steel frame door, shattering the ceramic into dozens of jagged pieces. Dirt and broken flowers lay strewn across, across the floor as Elise heard the door behind her swing open. The nurse, accompanied by a pair of orderlies carrying restraints, rushed into the room. Louisa screamed and bolted for the exit, but the orderlies caught her. They wrestled Louisa to the floor where she grabbed a shard of broken pottery that she used to slash at their faces until one of them pinned her arms above her head. 
The other sat on her legs to keep her from thrashing about as he stabbed a syringe of sedative through the wool of her dress and into her thigh. Within moments, Louisa lay still. The nurse left, then reappeared shortly thereafter with a wheelchair into which they loaded Louisa's limp body. She'll need to be taken downstairs for observation until the sedative wears off, the nurse stated. Her lips were pursed even thinner and tighter than before. Mr. Martell, if you would follow me downstairs as well to the conference room, we need to have a word. Walter stared indignantly at the nurse, not budging as she held the door open. Glancing warily back and forth between her father and the nurse, Elise stepped away from the spot in the corner into which she had withdrawn and went out into the hallway. She wanted to stoop down and pick up one of the crushed blossoms that lay on the floor, but she dared not, with her father watching her. Reluctantly, Walter followed after the orderlies left with Louise's wheelchair. In the conference room, the nurse directed Elise and Walter to sit in a pair of burgundy leather nail-head chairs across the carved mahogany desk from her own. This is really a conversation that you should be having with your wife's doctors, Mr. Martell, she began. However, since we are understaffed, matters regarding issues with patient visitation have been falling to the head nurse of each shift, which means, she gestured to indicate herself, me. I don't have to consult your wife's file, Mr. Martell, to be sure of what I'm about to say. I've been working on Louisa's floor since the day she was admitted. Your wife is not insane, Mr. Martell. She is merely very, very angry with you. And with her father, since it was the two of you who signed the papers, requiring her to seek mandatory inpatient treatment in lieu of incarceration. The muscles in Walter's jaw clenched. How can you sit there and act as if I am to blame for her condition? Louisa attacked that poor woman. She's a very dangerous person who is completely unable to contain her emotions. She deserved to be committed. And yet, the only times that we've recorded Louisa having any violent outbursts since she's been in treatment here have all occurred either during or just after visitations with you or her father, Mr. Roth. I don't believe that is a coincidence, Mr. Martell. I think that your presence is a triggering event for Louisa. Perhaps it would be best if you did not return for some time. Wait... Elise said, looking at her father. You mean that you've already been to see her before? And you didn't say anything to me about it? Did she get my letters? Did she say anything to you about them? Walter glared at Elise, but did not answer. Your mother is not allowed writing instruments in her room, for safety reasons, the nurse replied instead to Elise. However, she was given your letters, and she read them. She responded to them as well with the assistance of an attendant who took down her dictation. Our institution would never prevent the correspondence of a patient with her children, if such interaction causes no adverse effects to her treatment. Your mother seemed to be comforted by your letters and, based on her responses, seemed to care for you a great deal. She was looking forward to the day when you would be able to visit with her, which was why the nurse paused to regard Walter whose face was growing redder by the moment. 
I was concerned as to how she might react when both of you were present. Elise shook her head, not wanting to believe what the nurse was telling her. So, uh, Mother did try to write back to me? The nurse nodded. Yes, every week. I supervise the outgoing post from this office. But I, I never received them, Elise cried. Realizing what must have happened, she turned to her father. Why didn't you give me my mother's letters? What happened to them? Because they were full of lies, Walter seethed. I burned them. Stunned, Elise began trembling, trying not to cry. Mr. Martell, the nurse admonished. There is no need for such cruelty. Your daughter has already lost her mother. She's been through enough. Walter leapt up so abruptly that he knocked the leather chair over behind him. Shaking an accusing finger at the nurse, he bellowed, Who are you to say how I should raise my daughter? You're not even a doctor. Rising to match him, the nurse yelled back, I may not be a doctor, but I have worked in mental health long enough to know when a patient does and does not belong here. And I assure you, Mr. Martell, that your wife does not. The only thing that Louisa needs is a divorce. Why won't you give her one? Believe me, I would have done so long ago if it weren't for her crazy Catholic family. Louisa would have too, but Mr. Roth wouldn't hear of it. He didn't want to bring shame on the family after... Walter stalled, unable to admit what he had done. After what had happened... They thought it was better if we both just kept carrying on. And yet, when the time came to have Louisa committed to an asylum indefinitely, both you and Mr. Roth must have changed your minds, because you were the ones who signed the paperwork, the nurse replied sarcastically. She took a step back from the desk as Walter leaned forward over it. You should be ashamed of yourself, Mr. Martell. This hospital is for people who are truly suffering from mental illness. It is no place to abandon your wife when you tire of her or when the consequences of your actions have become too much for the family to bear. How dare you speak to me in any such manner, Walter roared. You have no right or authority to judge me. I could have your job for this. He grabbed Elise's hand. She tried to jerk away from her father, but he maintained a strong grip around her small wrist. Come on, Elise. We're going. It was wrong for me to bring you here. We will not be back. True to his word, Walter Martell never visited his wife again. The next day, Walter met with Louise's father, Mr. Roth. The two of them agreed that Elise would live with her Roth family cousins in a household of Louise's brother, while Walter went west to look for work, where he was not known. The scandal with Louisa had ruined his chances in their small town. Initially, the plan was for Walter to send for Elise in a few months, as soon as he was established in a home and on his feet. Until then, Walter would leave money for Elise's care and education, enough to finish out the school year. However, as the months turned into years... Walter never returned for his daughter. Although he sent back money to pay for her livelihood, Elise never saw the benefit of it. In Walter's absence, the Misters Roth, both elder and younger, decided that his money was better spent on educating Elise's male cousins. Thus, her cousins continued on at the local Catholic school until they graduated, 
long after Elise was forced to drop out for lack of tuition. Made to earn her keep, Elise worked as a maid and a tutor for her cousins until she was at an age when she was considered an old maid. Eventually, Elise did marry, though, to a gambler who came to a card party held at the Roth household for those same cousins. He fleeced them for every dime that they had. Many years later, after Elise was herself a mother, her father Walter returned, sick and well past seventy, begging to be cared for. Being the kind of girl that she was, Elise took him in. Elise never saw her own mother again. Nevertheless, she continued to grow violets, just as her mother had taught her for the rest of her life. This is the end of The Cultivation of Violets, a short story by Vivian Catfield. Tune in next week for another new story here on the Haunted Muse podcast. Until then, this is Vivian Catfield reminding you to remain ever watchful because you never can tell. Someone or something somewhere out there just might be watching you.